Well, howdy, neighbors. Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Department of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. I'm Isaac Suleiman with Suleiman Farms in Sullivan City, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. It is great to have you along for another episode of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, cattle producers are still waiting to expand cow herds. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. A lot of our pastures in the Texas High Plains are in need of rain. I'm James Hunt and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. Who is buying enormous sized ranches in Texas and for what purpose? I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have more on my report coming up on Texas Ag Today. The U.S. ag trade deficit in August reached a record level thanks to a strong U.S. dollar. I'm Gary Joyner and I'll have details on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Cow-calf producers have yet to pull the trigger when it comes to herd expansion. That's according to Kansas State University Extension Livestock Market Economist Dr. Glenn Tonser, who outlines the picture from last month's cattle on feed report. Heifer inventory was up 1% versus the year before, and heifers composed 40% of the total inventory. So the remaining 60, of course, are steers. But anytime we have that high as a percentage of the inventory, then that's historically at least a pretty strong signal that you know ranchers are not keeping their heifers at home. They're still finding their way to the feed yard. And it's another you know, fairly direct signal, at least to me, that nationally we have not pulled the trigger on expansion. Tonser says there is a lot of discussion about herd rebuilding, and while some ranches are in the process, collectively the national cattle-on-feed-based numbers signal that herd expansion has not yet begun. There is interest, make no mistake. Mother nature, drought conditions, those kind of things definitely have a hand in this. Borrowing rates, you know, interest rates are a lot higher. Uh, there's still several that remember they paid up a lot in 2013, 2014 for replacement heifers, and a couple years later they weren't as happy with that. All of that is in the back of the minds of ranchers right now. I do think in 24 and 25 we're going to be in process of rebuilding the herd. That's, you know, as of today, that's my crystal ball forecast, but I don't think we've done it yet. 
Tonzer conducts a regular study on feedlot profitability. He says his latest numbers suggest there is still some profit out there in the feedlot sector, but not as much as a few weeks ago. Sorghum producers have a couple of weeks left to enter the National Sorghum Yield Contest. Sorghum growers have just two more weeks to submit their entries for the 2023 National Sorghum Yield Contest. The contest, hosted by National Sorghum Producers, has four divisions, irrigated, dryland no-till, dryland tillage, and food grade. NSP reports the contest is an opportunity for farmers to showcase their sorghum crop. It allows the industry to recognize some of the best growers in the U.S. while also helping farmers to grow and learn from one another. The deadline to enter on the NSP website is November 15th. Contest winners will be recognized at an awards gala at Commodity Classic in Houston in 2024. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Cattle producers are buying the Livestock Risk Protection Insurance in increasing numbers. As of October, LRP had been purchased on 5.2 million head. That is up from 3.4 million last year and 1.8 million in 2021, according to a Texas A&M University study. The program covered just 71,000 head back in 2017. A lot of pastures in the Texas High Plains need rain. James Hunt has more from Amarillo. For the western part of the Texas Panhandle, in places like Randall and Deaf Smith counties, drought conditions are getting worse. And that's an issue for a cattle producer like Greg Glover of Canyon, who's had to make some difficult decisions due to what has become a long battle with dry weather. The last couple years, we've really trimmed down our cow herd. We've got it a lot more manageable for our weather. I wouldn't say we need to trim down, but we have some wheat planted, but a lot of it's, I mean, all, most of our dry land's hardly up, or if it's very patchy. I've been trying to irrigate as much as we can, but uh, we're just kind of in a pocket where we're at, and it just hadn't really rained since July very much. So the wheat that we have been watering just compared to what it normally should look like, it does not look like. So I don't think we'll be able to graze a a lot of what I would call irrigated wheat because it's just not as big and lush as what it should be this time of year. And and from what I've seen around us to the west and even to the north, it's kind of a pretty similar story. I mean, you'll, you'll see some that looks good and a lot that's not what it should be. Glover and his family have reduced a herd that once numbered almost 600 cows down to about 250 right now, but they would like to eventually expand again. Neighbors have asked, are we going to get more cows? And my answer is, tell me what the weather's going to be in 12 months, because the last thing I want to do is, or we, uh, you know, as an operation, is buy more cows, especially at their cost, than 12 months having to get rid of them, because I think those are more of a long-term investment, so I want to try to keep them long-term. Once again, that was Greg Glover of Canyon. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Who is buying the big ranches that have sold in Texas? Tom Nicoletti talks to a real estate expert for an answer. My guest again today is Tyler Jacobs, broker partner with Hall & Hall Land Company in College Station. We pick up on our conversation from our last program, on who are the buyers of huge ranches in Texas. 
So why are they buying these ranches, not necessarily to work them uh, on a daily basis, correct? Absolutely not. These are people that have built fortunes and and done well for themselves, and and a lot of them are actually first-generation wealth. They've done well enough for themselves that they want a legacy investment. And there is no legacy investment that compares to a ranch. And even at that scale, that's what they're doing. They're not buying these ranches to sell them. They're buying these ranches to own them and improve them and operate them and pass them on, regardless of how dirty they get their hands every day. Now, uh, Tyler, explain uh, one of the rules in real estate, as I understand, and that is the scarcity portion of it and how it applies to these uh, big rent sales. That's one of the, the interesting trends that we're seeing, Tom, is as our population continues to grow, particularly in Texas, these larger intact ranches are going to become rarer and rarer and rarer. And so the rural real estate says the rarer something is, the more value that it's going to represent in its market share. So as this trend continues to develop of, of our population increasing, theoretically, the, the pressure of scarcity in the market for these large ranch sales is, is going to lift the value of them because you cannot assemble these things at the same rate that you can buy something that is already whole. That is Tyler Jacobs of Hall & Hall Land Company out of College Station. I'm Tom Nicoletti at the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The U.S. ag trade deficit reached a record level in August. Gary Joyner says a strong U.S. dollar is to blame. New monthly trade data from the U.S. Department of Agriculture shows a record monthly trade deficit for agriculture. In August, the U.S. had $12.5 billion in ag exports, but it had more than $16 billion in ag imports. The result is an ag trade deficit of over $3.6 billion in a single month. It is the largest monthly trade deficit we've had in U.S. agricultural trade. Economists say the strong U.S. dollar is behind the deficit. Efforts to combat inflation in the last year and a half with strong interest rates is leading to a strong U.S. dollar, and that strong U.S. dollar makes imports relatively less expensive and agricultural export values lower. In fact, overall U.S. ag export value is down by about 9%. The vast majority of the decrease is in major bulk products. Import figures for fresh and frozen vegetables are up more than 15% this year compared to last year. I'm Gary Joyner for Texas Ag Today. If you plan on hunting deer in the Rio Grande Valley this year, you may need to have the hide tested before you leave the area. I'm Jessica Domel and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And low heels in the hind feet of horses can cause lameness issues. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Howdy neighbors, Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Department of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. 
Texas has lost over 2 million acres of agricultural land in the last 25 years. That's a threat to family farms, our economy, and our food supply. This is State Representative Dwayne Burns, and I'm here with my friend, Super Bowl champ, and Dallas Cowboy legend, Jay Novacek. You know, I've been a real cowboy my whole life, so I'm asking everyone to go out and vote for Proposition 1, the right to farm amendment that this guy, Dwayne Burns, actually wrote. Whether you're a cowboy or not, this is important to all Texans. We all need access to safe and affordable food in the future. Proposition 1 protects our family farms and ranches so they can grow our food right here in Texas. On November 7th, please head to the polls and vote for Proposition 1, the Food for Texas Amendment. Yeah, come on, Texas. Let's do it Jay's way. Vote for Prop 1 and then spread the word with your friends and family. Learn more about Proposition 1 at right2farmtexas.com. That's right, the number 2, farmtexas.com. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Low heels in the hind feet of horses can cause lameness issues. Dr. Bob Judd tells why. Dr. Steve O'Grady indicates that low heels in the hind feet can lead to a subtle bilateral lameness or poor performance. Pain and disease of the suspensory ligament, hock, stifle, and back can all develop. In the past, many farriers have just elevated the heels in these horses to solve the problem. But this actually crushes the heels further after a period of time. While front feet are generally as wide as they are long, the back feet are longer than they are wide. The hoof pasture and axis in the hind feet should be straight as in the forefeet. Horses with low heels in the hind feet also have a bullnose shape of the dorsal hoof wall, and the horse's hind feet are placed further forward under the abdomen than normal, giving the horse a sickle-hocked appearance. This type conformation can lead to hip pain and a short stilted gait with shortened cranial phase of the stride and frequent stumbling. Horses with low heels in the hind feet do not always block sound to local anesthetic because of the pain in the upper limb. Many of these horses have a frog that is growing down past the level of the sole, which also causes pain. Removing the shoe and trimming the foot will usually cause the frog to recede and be on the same plane as the heel. A lot of these horses have a broken back hoof pasture and axis, so the front of the coffin bone is higher than the rear. The sole and hoof wall at the toe need to be lowered carefully so the coffin bone is level and the entire heel and frog is weight-bearing. A shoe with a heel bar can be applied to keep the frog from descending between branches of the shoe, and the shoe should extend at the heel to the bulb of the heel. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. If you plan to hunt deer in the Rio Grande Valley this year, you may need to have the hide tested before you leave the area. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. To protect cattle across the state and nation, the Texas Animal Health Commission is reminding hunters in the Rio Grande Valley to have any deer or exotics they harvest in a cattle fever tick quarantine area tested before leaving the zone. There are currently cattle fever tick quarantine areas in parts of the following counties. Cameron, Hildago, Star, Zapata, Webb, Maverick, Kinney, Valverde, Willacy, Kennedy, and Brooks. Eli Benavides, TAHC Regional Manager, joins us with more. 
Hunters are required to present their hide for inspection and treatment. Before the hide can be removed from the quarantine area, either a THC or USDA representative will go out to the premises, inspect the hide, and treat it with either permethrin or centria, depending on what county you're in, and they will give you a movement permit. Once you have that movement permit, you are free to move the hide from the quarantine area. The hide needs to be removed from the carcass. We cannot spray the hide while it's on the carcass because that can contaminate the meat. Hunters who plan to leave the hide at the site of harvest are not required to have the deer or exotic tested prior to leaving the quarantine area. So if they're just going to take the meat, it is not a requirement, but we still encourage it. The more surveillance that we get, it's better for our program because we want to know in what areas maybe wildlife is a factor as far as moving fewer ticks around. Hunters are required to have the hides of the following animals tested if they're harvested in a cattle fever tick quarantine area. White-tailed deer, Nilgai antelope, black buck, axis deer, red deer, gimsbok, audad, Texas dull sheep, and other exotics. Contact information for cattle fever tick testing is on the TAHC website. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dommel. It's time to check the markets. We'll be back with a complete look at the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Howdy neighbors, Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Park of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. Texas has lost over 2 million acres of agricultural land in the last 25 years. That's a threat to family farms, our economy, and our food supply. That's right, and there's a huge digital divide in our state. There are still large parts of rural Texas that have little to no access to high-speed internet. I'm State Representative Dwayne Burns. And I'm State Representative Trent Ashby. We're here to ask you to vote for Proposition 1 and Proposition 8. I wrote Prop 1 to protect your right to farm and ranch. It will prevent the abuse of regulatory power, protect the backbone of our rural economy, and ensure safe and affordable food for all Texans. And I wrote Proposition 8, which will create the Broadband Infrastructure Fund to address important upgrades for public safety and provide resources for broadband access in rural hospitals and schools. Let's head to the polls November 7th and vote for Prop 1 and Prop 8. Political advertising paid for by Texas Farm Bureau and Texas Broadband Now PAC. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We saw a strong close in the cattle futures market on Thursday, both live and feeder cattle making nice gains. December live cattle up a dollar five, one eighty four sixty seven. February up a dollar twenty five at one eighty six forty two. April live cattle up a dollar twenty two at one eighty eight seventy seven. Even bigger gains in the feeder cattle trade with November feeders up four oh five. 242.62. January feeders up 415 at 242.17, while the March contract was up 410 to close at 244.42. Cash fed cattle market still fairly quiet for the week. Now, we did see some sales here in the Southern Plains at 185. 
That is steady with last week's trade. However, just a few hundred heads, so not enough to really establish a trade for the week. The feedlots still asking 188 for the cattle left on the show list. Boxed B prices lower Thursday choice down 251 at 30267. Select down 76 at 27874. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. My guest in the alleyway, Benny Cox, producers in Cardall, San Angelo. Benny, review the sheep and goat sale with us. I was all right. We didn't get to the 2000. I told you we might. We got to 1862. And so this market report's not worth much. Uh, you can't bank on it. Right. It was just, it was crazy. Slaughter lambs, they were from 20 to $40 higher. Uh, slaughter ewes, kind of 7 to 12 higher. Kid goats, now last week they were a good deal lower, 20 or 30. Yesterday they were 30 to 50 higher. Slaughter daddy sold from 80 to 155, but mostly 113 to 131. And that, that sounds awful good to, you know, compared to what it has been, but that's, I mean, it ought to be that or, or better all the time. Right. Uh, slaughter belly sell from 160 up to 220. Uh, the spread on those wool feeder lambs, we sold two groups. There was one that weighed 83, bring 260, and then there was some 94 pounders off that same consigner, bring 256, and there hadn't been anything like that in forever, it seemed like, especially that big. <clears throat> anyway, the, the, the lighter end of these slaughter lambs, we had some of those that weren't very desirable, bring down to, you know, down that 220 range all the way up 318. And I'll tell you, those 318s actually were you lambs. I'm guessing they turned them back out. Uh, we had some heavier lambs, uh, bring from 210 all the way up to 280, and that 280 would have they'd have gone to slaughter, and that's over 80 pounds. Uh, here's some uh, the spread on the slaughter used is 55 to 88, but mostly 69 to 82. Kid goats sell from two to 376, but mostly 270 to 331 on those that are going to to process. Of course, it was that way because we've had lots of moisture and uh, numbers were short. Benny, tell everybody how to get a hold of it for the next sale. Well, they can call me on my mobile. It's 325-234-4277. The office, same area code, 653-3371. Or they can always look at the web, which is producersandcargyle.com. Neighbor, thanks so much for listening to Walking the Pins on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Larry Marble. I'm the host. That was Benny Cox. You're listening to us right this second on Texas Ag Today. Back over to the futures market now, where lean hogs finished sharply higher on Thursday. December hogs up 312, 7327. February up 277 at 76.22. Class 3 milk was higher. December contract up 27 cents, 17.40 a hundredweight. The cotton market closed slightly higher despite the fact that we had a very strong export sales report released Thursday morning. We had a marketing year high sales number of 450,000 bales with China as the lead buyer. December cotton, however, only up 36 points, 79.80. March cotton up 56 at 82.24. May cotton up 47 at 83.34 cents. The corn market continues to drift lower with clear skies and good weather for harvesting in the corn belt, causing harvest to pick up the pace there. And that harvest pressure keeps a lid on prices December corn down five cents Thursday, closing at four seventy a bushel. March corn down four and three quarters at four eighty five a bushel. Hard wheat finishing slightly higher in Thursday's trade. December Kansas City wheat up one and a half, six forty one and a half. In the energy markets, December natural gas was unchanged, three ninety one. 
December West Texas crude up 209 at 82.53 a barrel. The financial markets sharply higher Thursday afternoon. The Dow up 515 points, 33,790. The Nasdaq up 231 at 13,293, while the S&P was up 77 at 4,314. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.